This Bible reading is from Revelations 4, the whole chapter, and it's found on page 1239. After this I looked, and before me was a door standing open in heaven, and the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must first take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the centre around the throne were four living creatures and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honour and thanks to him, who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits at the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the thrones and say, you are worthy, O Lord, God, o Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. This is the word of the God. Well, thanks for the opportunity to come and uh, to uh, share with you this morning. Uh, we're going to be looking at Revelation 4 and 5. The, uh, the two chapters go together. Uh, so if you'd uh, like to keep your Bibles open, uh, we can... Uh, do that. Is that better? Is that okay? Great. Excellent. Um, before we begin, let's pray. Father, we do thank you that uh, you are not a shy God, that you have spoken to us and made your will clear to us. Thank you that you've spoken to us in the person of your son, the Lord Jesus, and in the scriptures that uh, teach us. Father, we do pray this morning that as we uh, encounter your word and hear your voice, that uh, you will speak to us and assure us uh, of your power, your love, your presence and your authority. And Father, we do pray that you'll help us to be encouraged to live lives uh, confident uh, in you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, our age has been characterised as the age of anxiety. Uh, and uh, many of us may well feel that's true. Uh, there is plenty to be anxious about. Uh, I don't know how you go when uh, you read the newspapers and watch the news. You wake up in the morning and maybe turn over to flick on the radio. Do you that with a sense of... Uh, anticipation or trepidation? What, uh, what new horror is going to be visited upon us? It can all be a little bit overwhelming, can't it? Uh, talk of global warming, 
uh, political turmoil, even in our own country, an apparently stable democracy where we just cycle through prime ministers now on a, on a regular uh, kind of basis. People complained at a local level about uncontrolled development along their main roads and, uh, and all of the rest of that's going on there. Uh, and then we read about horrific events that uh, just seem to happen daily, murders of people in their houses and on and on it goes. But then on the other hand, uh, I've read a number of articles recently that tell me that things have never been so good in the world. That uh, poverty is uh, on a worldwide basis, is, is slowly moving away, that, uh, that things are, are getting better. It's hard to get a sense of perspective on all of this. What's the truth in all of that? Uh, and uh, of course we now live in the world of fake news and fake truth and all the rest of it. So it's, it's even harder to kind of get a real handle on what's going on around us. Uh, I really like uh, the opinion papers, pieces in newspapers and uh, those editorials on the radio and all the rest because they try and step back a little bit and give you a sense of perspective. But unfortunately, I read both the Australian and the Sydney Morning Herald, so I'm confused again because uh, you get diametrically opposed opinions uh, on the same event. Uh, are we simply going up and down in one of history's kind of cycles or are we sleepwalking to oblivion? Have we never really had it so good but we just don't realise it? What's going on? If only we could get a sense of perspective in all of this and, uh, and ease perhaps our anxiety. Uh, in a very real sense, uh, Revelation 4 and 5 is a moment of perspective uh, in the book of Revelation and will give us a, uh, I hope, a sense of perspective as well. It's a really key two chapters in the book. It's almost like a little bit of a, a pause point or a hinge. Uh, if you know the book of Revelation at all, you know it begins with a magnificent vision of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and then it moves into his message uh, to uh, seven churches uh, in, the, uh, in the region of Asia, Asia Minor, current day Ephesus. But it's kind of like a really a message to the whole church, the way it pans out. And, uh, and those messages, if you know them, they're a mixture of the good, the bad and the ugly. Uh, some things are going really well, some things are going really poorly. Uh, it's a little bit chaotic, a bit hard to get a perspective on what's going on. And we know that the book of Revelation, the promise is that we'll be shown what is, what is to come and what will be. And we're waiting for, to see all of that unfold. And then Revelation 4 and 5 is a kind of a pause moment between those letters and the rest of the vision that John is going to unfold, which uh, talks about the work of the Lord Jesus Christ through history and how it's all going to pan out. We get this, this moment. And it begins uh, with John looking. There's a lot of looking and seeing in Revelation because it is a vision. And there before me was a door standing open in heaven. Uh, I don't know about your house, but we're an open door house. Uh, I don't like closed doors in bedrooms and stuff like that because stuff can go on behind closed doors. So if the door is open, you can look in. And so it's a, this is a picture again of Revelation, that we, the door is open into heaven so we can have a look and see what is in there, what is here uh, at the very uh, centre, I guess, of reality. And then uh, John hears this voice that he first heard back in chapter 1. I guess it's the voice of the Lord Jesus saying, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. So it looks like we're going to get the rest of the vision unfolding, but then we get these two chapters uh, of description. And, uh, and John is taken uh, into the throne room of heaven and he sees someone sitting there. And so as the, before this plan unfolds, we, we, we get to have a look around as to where this plan is coming from. The throne clearly symbolises rule, we know that. Kings and queens sit on thrones and there is someone sitting on it. But there's no physical description because clearly as the chapter goes on, this is the throne of God himself 
uh, who uh, has no uh, form as such. But what we're really given here is an impression or a vibe of what it's like to be in the presence of God, as the Bible does in a, in a couple of places. Uh, he has the appearance of Jasper and Ruby. And we're given this, uh, this language uh, to try and help us to get a bit of an impression of the glory that is here. Jasper and Ruby are green and red lights. We kind of get a, a picture of light and sound through these two chapters to help us uh, understand, or if not understand, at least uh, apprehend, appreciate what is uh, going on. Jasper and Ruby were parts of the uh, priest's breastplate in the Old Testament, and they will be part of the foundation of the, the, the New Jerusalem right there in chapter 20. So they're very precious uh, and important stones. We, we see that a rainbow that shines like an emerald encircles the throne. And I guess the, the message of the rainbow or the mention of the rainbow takes us back to God's promises to Noah, uh, where he promised he would never flood the ark again, uh, flood, the, flood the world again, sorry, and sets his bow in the sky as a sign of his faithfulness to his promises. So we, we, we know we're in that kind of zone uh, as it comes. Uh, and then around that throne, we see that there are 24 other thrones uh, with, uh, and seated on them were 24 elders. And, and I guess the number 24 reminds us of two lots of 12, the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 uh, apostles of the Lord Jesus, the old and the new covenant people of God, uh, all combined to form the people of God. And they're kind of co-ruling here, perhaps, under the authority of God, but they are on thrones as well. And see what they're doing? They're, they're dressed in white, a symbol of purity. They've been purified, and we'll find out a little bit about that later. And they have crowns of gold on their heads. There's a, there's a ruling function there as well. And so this is quite an impressive uh, picture uh, as it unfolds. From the throne comes flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. And I guess we're taken back to Mount Sinai. Uh, where the presence of God on the mountain is symbolised by these uh, kind of awesome figures. And I don't think this is that rumbling of thunder in the distance. That's that clap of thunder that kind of scares the life out of you when it feels like it's right overhead. This, this is an awesome sight uh, that we're meant to be uh, seeing and, uh, and hearing uh, as it comes. And before the throne, we have seven lamps symbolising the sevenfold or the, or the perfect spirit of God. There's what looks like a sea of glass in front of the throne. The sea is an interesting symbol because in uh, the New Testament times particularly, the sea uh, and, the, and the Old Testament, the sea was a place of chaos. It was uncontrollable. If you fell into the sea, there were things in there that could eat you. Uh, and uh, we know that one of the Lord Jesus' great miracles, of course, was calming the sea. He could bring order out of chaos. Now, there's no chaos here. This is a sea that is a glassy sea, as surfers would like to say, smooth and calm uh, and, and brought under control. This is a, a sound and light show of awesome proportions. And if we can just visualise for a moment, take ourselves into this picture, uh, we, can, we can see how impressive uh, this would be. But as this vision unfolds, there's more, of course. There's more to see. Because in the centre around the throne were four living creatures and they're covered with eyes in front and back. Now, that's kind of freaky to my mind, uh, but, but eyes everywhere means that they can see everywhere. These are all knowing creatures, I guess, in, in some sense. Uh, the, the first living creature was like a lion, the second uh, was like an ox, the third had a face like a man, the fourth was like a flying eagle. This is imagery from the book of Ezekiel uh, and, uh, and Isaiah. And these are terrifying and majestic creatures. Uh, the lion, the king of beasts, the ox, the strongest of the beasts, 
the man, the wisest of God's uh, creatures, and then the eagle, the, the swiftest, and, and the king of the birds. So what we have here is the, the strongest, the brightest, the best, the pinnacle of all creation represented. And what are, the, what, what are these creatures doing? What are they doing? Day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. They praise uh, the one who is on the throne, the very best of creation. Uh, praises the one who sits on the throne, who is there, pure, totally other, totally different and totally good. And so these living creatures, they give glory and honour and thanks. And when they do, the 24 elders, they respond. Uh, they, uh, they fall down before the throne. They worship him. They lay their crowns before the throne because they realise that here is the true power. And they say these words, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. It's a, it's a magnificent picture, isn't it, of praise uh, to the one who alone is worthy of all praise, uh, the creator of all, the one who sustains all. And I guess uh, before we move on to chapter 5, let's just pause to think about that for a moment. We owe our very existence this morning sitting here, uh, created and sustained to the one who sits on the throne. We live and exist by God's grace and we do well to remember that. Uh, as, we, uh, as we think about this. Are you grateful to be here this morning? Are you grateful to be alive? You owe it all to the one who sits upon the throne. And we ought to be saying to him, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power, for you created me, and by your will I am created and have my being. We owe it all to the God who is the creator. Uh, but if that's not enough, the, the chapter goes on. That would be plenty, uh, of course. But the chapter goes on because John looks again, verse uh, 1 of chapter 5, and he sees in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. This is kind of intriguing, isn't it? Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, I'm always intrigued by... Well, you don't, you don't get letters much anymore, do you? But when you do, I'm always intrigued what's in them and I kind of... I'm tempted to open other people's mail. Their mum said I should never do that. Uh, but, but here we've got some mail, uh, seven seals, writing all over it. It's a complete revelation, sealed up. Uh, kind of curious, what does this say? And John's curious as well. Uh, he, he hears a mighty angel proclaiming in a voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. It's kind of frustrating. It's like one of those Christmas presents left under the tree that no one can open because you don't know who it's addressed to. It's there. He wept and he wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. And in the sweep of the book, we know that this scroll is the key to what's going to unfold. So everything pauses or jams or stops here at this point because this scroll can't be opened, which makes it even more frustrating. And, uh, and John, uh, the writer, his, uh, his uh, grief is, uh, is evident there as he weeps. Then one of the elders says to me, do not weep. There is one who is worthy. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Now, you can imagine if you heard that, all eyes would suddenly turn right or left. Let's, where is the Lion of Judah? What are we going to see? 
and, uh, and as, we, as we look, uh, we're going to see this magnificent king come out in dressed in robes and crowns and all the rest of it, uh, worthy striding forward like a champion, a hero, to take hold of this scroll. No. What do we see? Verse 6. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the centre of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out from all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. We see, who is worthy? Well, it is the lamb who was slain there. Uh, A powerful lamb, seven horns, symbols of power, uh, imbued with the spirit. But the, 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 the lamb who was slain, the lion is the lamb. The lion is the lamb. Right at the centre of heaven, seated on the throne with that magnificent person from chapter 4, is the lamb who has been slain. It's interesting to think most uh, countries will adopt an animal uh, to symbolise something about them. Uh, Russia has the bear, England has the lion, France the tiger, USA the eagle, kind of get the drift, Australia the kangaroo. A little bit of a contrast on the way through. Heaven has the lamb, but not just the lamb, but the lamb who was slain. That is the animal symbol in the throne room of heaven. That is the person sitting on the throne. He is worthy to take the scroll. And of course, we recognise this is the Lord Jesus Christ, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the lamb who was slain. Verse 7, he takes the scroll and when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. They'd previously fallen down, of course, before the one on the throne. Each had a harp and they were holding golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the people of God. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on earth. Why is the lamb worthy to take the scroll? Well, because he was slain. Because he purchased a people for God. He redeemed the people of God. He has gathered a people from every tribe, language and nation, which is a great thing, of course, to remember on a mission day as, uh, as we hear this. He has given them unimaginable honours. He's made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve God. And his promise is that his people will reign on earth in the new creation forever and ever. It's an absolutely breathtaking kind of statement that has been made of the Lamb's worthiness. But there's more, verse 11. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. The Lamb is worthy of the same glory, honour, power, strength and praise as the one who was on the throne, the Lord Jesus is is divine and worthy of the divine honours of God himself, the Father. And notice here we've got the 24 elders being joined by thousands and thousands and ten thousands of angels. And then, if that's not enough, there's more. There's another chorus, verse 13. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea. Do you get the picture? Nothing is not now praising uh, at this point. 
and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honour and glory and power forever and ever. And so the, the, the two figures from four and five are united as all of creation, all of creation in its entirety, nothing out, gives praise and glory and honour to them both as they're there. What a crescendo. And so we see this magnificent picture of sound and light and movement, all of it bringing praise and glory to the one who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb. What a noise. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been in a, in a crowd uh, that, uh, that roars. Uh, I think uh, people talk about uh, maybe some were there. Uh, in the year 2000 when Kathy Freeman rounded the straight uh, in that uh, 400 metres, that, that 110,000 people plus everyone else watching on TV, perhaps New Zealand might have been able to hear the roar from Australia uh, as, uh, as that happened. Uh, that, that is dwarfed, of course, by this song of praise to our God, uh, to our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Then all the elders fall down and worship. It's a magnificent picture, isn't it? It's a magnificent picture. What does it mean? Let me make a few observations. The first thing to notice is that uh, on the throne, at the very centre of reality, is the Father and the Lamb of God who was slain. It's not us. Uh, this may seem a really obvious thing to say, but this is one of the things I'm constantly reminding my students at YouthWorks, because young people tend to think they're the centre of the world. Uh, not so different from us, perhaps, but uh, the, the first uh, kind of lesson that we learn in theology is there is a God and he's not you. There is a God and he's not you. There is a God who rules, uh, who is not us, and we need to be reminded of that, and it's the God to whom we owe our creation and our redemption. We owe our creation and our redemption as uh, the Father and the Lamb uh, who was slain are there. Secondly, we see that uh, there is uh, a God in heaven, there is a plan, there is a scroll that is about to be opened, that can be opened. There is, uh, there is a picture here of God's sovereign control over his universe. As chaotic as things might look below, uh, with the ups and downs of the seven churches in, verses, uh, in chapters 2 and 3, in, the, in the, the warp and woof of our lives and things uh, personally, globally or whatever, we need to be confident that at the centre of reality, from the throne room of heaven, is the Father... Uh, the, this, this glorious figure and the lamb who was slain, working out their good and perfect purposes. In fact, so brilliant is this plan uh, that, that it can encompass a, an event as tragic and as unjust as the crucifixion of the lamb that was slain. That is all caught up in the plan and notice that there's a memory of that plan in heaven. Uh, as the lamb who was slain is now on the throne, where God is able to reconcile all things into his good and perfect plan. So no matter what is going to be on the ABC tomorrow morning, we need to recall that uh, on the throne is, sits uh, the, uh, the, the... To him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, there are, there are the ones who are worthy of praise, honour and glory and power. And we can live... We may worry, but we need not be crippled by anxiety about the way that this world will go. It's not a recipe for complacency. Uh, it's not a recipe for, as I say, crippling, worry, uh, crippling anxiety. But uh, we, we can be confident uh, in the fact that uh, here is one who uh, is in control and uh, is in charge of the past, the present and the future and will bring about his good and perfect purposes.
The third observation I'd make is that the slain land reminds us that God in his unimaginable power exercises it in humility and weakness and service to others. Now, isn't that a wonderful model of power in a world where we're certainly dubious now about any one or any institution that wields power? Yet here we have the lamb who was slain, an imaginable power from God himself, yet it's poured out for us, for others. And I guess that would give us pause to think about our own service of others and our own exercise of power in whatever sphere that may well be. I think these chapters give us a profound sense of perspective, that no matter what we see below, we know that above, that God is in control, that God does rule from his throne, that there is a scroll, there is a plan, all these things can unfold. One of the enormous privileges I've had over the last 10 years or so is to visit the Philippines uh, on uh, a number of occasions uh, to, uh, to, to talk, to preach, to, uh, to meet with other churches and, uh, and, and to share God's word with them. And I, I really remember a time, as about uh, seven or eight years ago now, where on two consecutive days uh, I shared these passages with two churches. Uh, one was uh, in a little town called Libertad, which is uh, just outside of Butuan City, which I'm going to guess most of you have never heard of, on the island of Mindanao. And uh, we were invited along to this church, and when I got there, there was uh, six of us. Uh, the, uh, there was a, a couple that ran the church, and uh, so they, they were kind of leading and singing and doing all this kind of stuff with us. There was one guy beside me who I think was in some kind of catatonic state, who never said anything all night. Uh, there was uh, my friend who was with me and then there was one or two other congregation members, I, I, whether that adds up to six, there it was. And, and that we needed that night uh, to hear this message because we were in the middle of nowhere uh, in a very unimpressive show, uh, but we were believers. It, it was literally in the midst of darkness because the electricity kind of wasn't working too well. Uh, and yet we were able to be in, encouraged that at this point uh, we, we were worshipping the one who sits on the throne uh, and the lamb who was slain. That all was not lost or pathetic or hopeless. That in fact uh, this was the very centre of our reality. The next day uh, I went to a, ch a church called the Blessed Hope Church in a city called Cagayan de Oro. And this was a church that was successful. Uh, it, was, uh, it was full. There was over 500 people in the church. It was a beautifully made church. It was made of marble and all the rest of it. And it was a very confident and a very prosperous church. And they too needed to hear this message that it was all by grace that God had blessed them at this point. And they too needed to hear that it wasn't their own efforts, that it was because of the one who sits on the throne and the lamb who was slain that they were in the position they were. Very interesting to kind of get that juxtaposition. Both needed to hear this picture. One needed to be reminded they were not forgotten, that all was not lost, that there is hope, that there is a good and sovereign God in control. One needed to be reminded that all they had was by grace. They were not the centre of everything and that they were dependent moment by moment for every breath they took and every move they made. Now, I don't know where you are this morning, but you may need to hear one or the other of those things. But we all need to be reminded that on the throne is the one who uh, is this glorious figure of uh, chapter 4 and the lamb who was slain in chapter 5. And as I kind of bring these things together, we, let's, let's remind ourselves uh, as we sit here this morning 
that uh, if we are Christian people, we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we, uh, we belong to God twice. We belong to God twice. We were made by him and we have been brought, bought by him. We have been made by him and we have bought by him. We owe our life and we owe our new life to the one who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb. And if that's you this morning, if that's me this morning, if that's us, then we of all people have reason to live lives marked by inexpressible gratitude and praise and we will join our voices willingly to that creation-wide chorus and with our lips and our lives we will say to him who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. And we will join with the four living creatures who say, Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that uh, your word shows us uh, what is real in a world where it's so often difficult to get a perspective on the events that are around us. We do pray that you will help us to live lives centred around the glory that we've seen this morning. The glory of uh, you on your throne uh, with the Lamb who was slain, your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, beside you. Father, we pray that you will give us uh, confidence in the midst of our anxieties. Help us to know that our anxieties need not be crippling, that our fears need not be fatal, but that we can live confident lives in you. And we pray that you will help us to live lives to your praise and worship, to your glory. We pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.